welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it! Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. everybody welcome to punch it episode 61 my name is charlene schmidt and with me as always is tristan riddell tristan we have come to the end of the first season of star trek discovery and i have been dying to know what you thought because we normally will exchange live tweets or not tweets but live messages back Mm -hmm. and forth with one another and i i didn't hear much from you so what did you think well, even though, like, because you were going through a thing where first you told me, hey, don't text me because I'm not going to be able to watch it live or at least right when it drops. And then I got a text from you saying, oh, okay, no, I am going to be able to do it. And so I was so unsure if whether or not I could text you. So I just decided not to. I'm sorry. I thought I tried to clear that up. What happened was I had company over. And so I figured if they were there when Discovery dropped, I wouldn't be able to watch it. And so I. Gave everybody a heads up. If you text me, I'm ignoring you because I don't know what's happening yet. <laughs> and then it turns out we had a nice break where I could watch it when it did drop. And so I did. I was actually at a, uh, I was at a conference out of town. And I didn't think about it because like right before I left, I had my bags. I was about to get on the road. And then my wife tells me, oh, yeah, you're, like, you're not going to be home to watch Star Trek. And it just it hit me like a freight train. I was like, <sighs> What? We're not going to be able to watch it together, and I'm going to have to watch it on like on my iPad, not my huge TV and amazing sound system. You poor thing. Uh, like this, the season finale is the one where I'm going to have to watch on a crappy little screen with headphones. <laughs> oh, it figures, right? That's how I felt about the whole thing with having company. Like, oh, the last episode of the season, we got to do this. Dang it! It's always how it is. But I was able to watch it, and I watched it almost right away, and I didn't get anything spoiled. So I was pretty excited wow. about that. That's amazing in this day and age. Yeah, it's because like I think I was an hour behind. Actually, I was an hour behind or maybe two hours behind it dropping. And I actually uploaded a video to Twitter before I even watched the final episode. So I was very much taking my life into my own hands because <laughs> by uploading the video saying like, oh, I made this celebrating the first season of Discovery, I was opening myself up to just constant spoilers because nobody waits for spoilers anymore and even official star trek accounts do not care about spoilers because as soon as the episode's over they start releasing pictures talking about who died or who came back or what happened and the international audience is just screwed yeah now what do you think about that whole thing do you think official accounts should have something like maybe a 24-hour pause period before they start throwing all of that out just because the international audience is behind us in terms of release. But then also not everybody can watch it right when it drops. Is that fair for them to do that? I think that there should be a 24 hour rule. But the thing is like as an official account, you got to take advantage of the hashtags. You got to take advantage of the hype with an audience talking about it because like, I understand like you got to talk about it. But the thing is, is that don't post a picture of the final moments of the episode saying, what did you think of this? Or don't post a picture of someone who died saying like, oh, sad to see them go. R.I.P. This character's name. (laughs) And like, don't Uh do that for 24 hours. But you can at least say like, what did you think of the episode? Or use this hashtag if you're going to spoil it. Like as an official account, make it vague. Interact with your public, but 
make it vague, make the headlines like, what did you think of that moment? We all know what we're talking about. But I feel like after the 24-hour rule, that's on you. Like if you're online and you haven't seen it yet, that's on you. I agree. I think honestly, between user and the official accounts, I think we both have to meet each other halfway, Mm 50-50. If you want absolutely no spoilers whatsoever and you know you're not going to watch an episode right away, if you're not going to be able to, for instance, mute the hashtags as many as you can until you can watch the episode. Or don't go online. Or don't go online, which I understand is difficult to do in the 21st century, but I do agree that the official accounts should be a little more careful because it's easy to spoil things for people. And that sucks when you're trying to just go in with as few ideas and expectations of what's going to happen so that you can just be mind blown when you actually watch the episode. So I think we're all kind of figuring out how to do this them as well as us and achieve that balance as much as possible. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been very lucky this entire season where I haven't had anything spoiled for me, not even not anything remotely except for one thing. And this was nobody's fault because I logged on to Amazon and the thumbnail of the episode was Lorca at the throne. Uh, and oh, so man. Even though that's a very minor detail and it didn't actually it didn't actually ruin anything, but at the same time I'm like, oh, okay, so Lorca makes it to the throne room. So obviously he kicks out the emperor from the throne room, or he makes it that far, or we know that that happens in this episode. That might sound trivial. You guys might think like, oh, I'm being overly cautious or, or anything like that. But honestly, like it was an official thumbnail of the episode when you log on to watch it. Right? Yeah, you can't avoid that. Yeah. So there's yeah. literally no way to avoid it. <laughs> no, no. So in terms of things like that, yeah, uh, official people, please be more careful. I understand you have a job to do and you absolutely must hype up your product. I get that. But <laughs> take a look at it from a fan's perspective. Right. And especially from those of us who really do want to go in as spoiler free as possible. Yeah. Because I did. I tried really hard. I still got spoiled on a couple of things. Thanks, Frakes. <laughs> on that one big one that you revealed at a convention, and then suddenly it's all over Twitter. Oh. And it, it, it just happens. You're going to have to tell me, if it's involving the last episode, you're really going to have to tell me what he spoiled, because I don't know. I didn't... Oh, no, no. It, it had nothing to do with the last episode. It was oh. when uh, he directed that first episode going into the Mirror Universe. Mm-hmm. He gave that away at a convention, that they were going to the Mirror Universe. And then suddenly it was all over Twitter, and I thought, oh, really? You had to? You had to? <laughs> Damn it, buddy. But then Frakes has that whole attitude of what are they going to do? Fire me? You know? Yeah. I get it. Maybe it's a, you don't know what happens, of course, in the mirror universe, but just even giving that much away was a little bit of a disappointment. And that was a big rumor, though, like that that was going to happen. Actually, no, they, no, Shar, to be fair, they confirmed that towards the beginning of the season that they were going to go to the mirror universe. They did? Okay, well, that's how much I was avoiding spoilers because I didn't know until he blurted that out. Okay, okay. So, anyway, that said, what did you think about the finale of season one? Uh, I, to be honest, I was a little like, oh, okay. Really? Yeah, I I was a little like, that was nowhere near as cool as some of the previous episodes. And I know that some people are praising that because it was a more subdued finale. I am totally not about that at all. Like whenever shows do that, <laughs> because the, this was a very active show. Like once we got to the second half and we got that, like 
your mid-season finale, in my opinion, should not be bigger than your season finale. And that very much was the case here. And I, I know I heard some people say like, oh, well, you know, it would have been so easy to make it big, but they did it a very Star Trek way where they, you know, they talked it out and there was no big explosions. I'm like, bull crap, I want... Like, you can still have the Star Trekiness where the conversations happen, but you can still have a lot more action or suspense. It doesn't even have to be explosions, but suspense and intrigue. And with this one, with this episode specifically, for the first two acts, I felt like, oh, wow, we're wasting a lot of time. Like, we're spending a lot of time stretching this. Like, it was weird because yeah. I felt like the first 40 minutes was very stretched out, and the last five minutes could have been an entire episode to itself. Right. I was expecting a longer last episode and was horribly disappointed when I realized that that was not going to be the case. And in comparison to that very last third of the episode, yeah, the first two thirds, it felt like almost wasting time just because of how much they had to hurry and throw so many things together at the very last end of it, put a bow on it and make everything happy and give us that wonderful Starfleet ending, which I did appreciate, but I think the big problem from a writing standpoint was is that they did not know that they were getting renewed for a second season at this point. So just in case if they weren't going to get another season, I think maybe they thought, well, we've got to find a way to wrap this up. We're out of time. They moved way too fast. And so they gave us the optimism. They tried to wrap things up like, okay, the war is over. Right now the spore drive is on pause, blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay. So you're resolving as much as you can, but there was way too much that we had to fill in the blanks as an audience, I thought, at that very ending part where there was some good stuff there. There was some amazing stuff in there, but it was all too fast. It was all too neat. It was all too rushed. Like, yeah. like with what was going on with Laurel and the Klingon Empire, that was way too easy. Oh, yeah. I really hope they explore more of that in season two because it's not that easy. Mm -mm. It, it is not that easy. It is, it is not that quick. It never is. And I understand it's television and it's a sci-fi show, but still. And yeah, no. <laughs> They've got a lot more work to do there, for sure. I, I wanted a little bit more information. I know that we'll get it, but I wanted a little bit more information on Burnham, like her future. She's reinstated and she has a rank back. She's a commander. But she's now the science officer of this discovery. She's in silver. Yes. So she's no longer in command. And she's not the first officer. Saru is still the first officer and acting captain. So she was pardoned by the president. And she had her rank fulfilled. So is her career completely off track? Is she no longer command gold? Is she no longer in the running for a promotion? Is, like, you know, how much forgiveness went on? Yes, we did not get the breakdown of why things kind of landed where they were. Maybe we'll get that in season two, but one kind of general complaint I do have about Discovery is they'll feed us this information and not tell us how it got there until maybe an episode or two later, maybe. Yeah. And yes. that, that kind of ticks me off. It reminds me a lot of Lost in that sense. I think SETI Alpha 3 mentioned this a few episodes ago where they'll bring things up, drop them, maybe pick them back up. And if they don't want to, they don't. They have so many toys they can play with in this universe that they just pick the ones they want and they go with it. I, I don't necessarily like that. I don't really dig on it either. And I'm not asking for things to be spoon-fed to me, but don't make right. me wonder what's going on or how things happen because then I'm not present. I'm not in the moment. Yes. I'm thinking I'm confused. And so I can't focus on the story of the characters. Right. And I think in part that is why the season finale felt so incomplete. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that said, though, discovery is not our main topic for the day, and we should probably move on <laughs> so we can get to this whole thing. And so what we are doing today is we are going to do a rewrite of a movie, and it's going to be Star Trek Generations. That's right. This is the seventh movie in the franchise. This is the first Next Generation movie, and it was very much a pass-the-torch type situation. And I kind of get why they had why they wanted to go there, because the opportunity was there. You don't know how long these guys are going to be around. If you're going to do this, this is your chance. I understand why they thought they needed to do it, but they very much did not need to do this. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that, especially after listening to Mission Log and their analysis of this movie. They did this very recently, so if you have not listened to that, go check out Mission Log. They did a fantastic recap of Generations and talked about some of the flaws and the things they liked and didn't. And we're just going to take that a step further and rewrite the things that we think need improvement. So we have the passing of the torch from original crew to next-gen crew. We have a villain, Soren, played by Malcolm McDowell. And we have the Nexus, which is basically eternity in an energy ribbon. I want to ask you, before we actually start rewriting and everything like that, how did you feel about this movie when you first saw it? When it first came out, I was totally gung-ho. I mean, it was new Star Trek, and it was fun to see it in the theater. I laughed. I had a good time. I knew it was not perfect, but I really wasn't thinking that critically about it. I was 12 mm -hmm. when it came out, mm -hmm. so I'm just there to enjoy Star Trek. And so for the most part, I'm thinking, this is okay. I mean, I had a good time. I watched it and watched it and watched it. How about you? I was the same way. Like, I was young. I was a little bit younger than you. And so I was buying the posters, buying the toys, getting the hype all before the movie even came out. And I remember the tagline was, A Rendezvous with Destiny. And I remember seeing that poster on my wall and not knowing how the hell to pronounce or read the word rendezvous. And, <laughs> and uh, I just, I remember after seeing it in the theater with my parents, I would, uh, every, like after a, a couple of months, I would run into the, our local video store and say, hey, do you have Star Trek Generations? They're like, no. Well, do you know when you're going to get it in? No. I would do that whenever we passed by and I would beg my parents nice. to let me run in. And they would continually tell me, no, it's too early. It's not going to come out yet. I was like, I got to know. I got to check it out. <laughs> and that, this, was, this was back in the day when we had to actually wait like six months, sometimes a year. It was a long time. For a VHS release of a movie. Yeah. And you never knew when it was going to come out. Mm -mm. And so like that's the thing is that like you, you would just have to stumble upon it one day. And then it would be there and then, oh my God. And then you'd have to wait maybe longer because it would sell out so fast because everybody who's a fan is doing the same thing you are. Exactly. And if you don't get that first pick, you've got to wait until somebody returns their video. This was archaic times. <laughs> we really were savages back then. But I, uh, <laughs> I, I remember watching in theater and I think that's the thing is that like I'm young enough, I was young enough to not care about the minutia of or the filmmaking techniques, or the things that didn't work. I was just enjoying the ride. I was just like, new Star Trek. Yeah. Let's go. Gung-ho. And it wasn't until I got older and I joined the online community where I realized that this was a very divisive movie. <laughs> you know, I when I revisited this movie, I think I got to watch it on pay-per-view or something. We had a free ticket to watch a... And if you don't know what pay-per-view is, it's like a premium movie channel where you had to pay something like five bucks to watch a movie via cable. 
we had a coupon for that. And I, of course, once we had that in my hot little hand, I ordered Star Trek Generations. I think I tried to record it, a VHS tape. I don't know if it worked, though. <laughs> so anyway, when I revisited it, I think I was a couple years older. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to f- look at it a little more critically, like, oh, this is not as good as I remembered it. So this was even before the online community, before I really started getting involved in that and interacting with other Star Trek fans. Yeah. And yeah, suddenly I was, I was a little jaded about the whole thing. Like, oh, yeah, this mi- movie has some problems that I didn't at first see. And I started to, it started to depreciate from that point forward. But then when you go online and you, you see the divisiveness, as you mentioned, oh, people have some real big problems with this one. Wow. Yeah, seriously. It's it's actually quite amusing about how isolated we are and were when we were younger about how it was I'm not trying to say like back in my day, but <laughs> back in my day, back in our day, like when we were younger, you were so much freer to enjoy what you enjoy and you didn't have to defend yourself, you didn't have to justify it, you didn't have to analyze it. You're just like, "Oh, Threshold was another episode. Okay, cool. Moving on." <laughs> And you lived your life. And you moved on and there was a new episode next week and it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, it's so true. We are so jaded by overall opinion and people spouting it out en masse on the internet. It does take the fun out of a lot of things, honestly. I feel like Generations is is a victim of that. I I think it's a victim of the online community overreacting. And I also think it's a victim of people having... Like, this is what we do as Star Trek fans, is that we've had 50 years of Star Trek, and we've analyzed literally every single second of it for those past 50 years. Oh, yeah. And so I feel like certain movies, certain episodes, certain things get more scrutiny than your average movie or average TV show. And so even though, like, you should think about plot holes, and I'm not trying to excuse any plot holes in Generations whatsoever, because they are definitely there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But... I feel like Generations has been unfairly maligned in a lot of cases. Do you think it's because we have the two crews kind of merging together a little bit and you could argue that that was mishandled? I think that's probably the biggest one and arguably maybe the next biggest one or just as big is how they use the Nexus. Mm. Okay, that said, maybe we should start getting into it. Let's go for it. Let's start with the two crews. We have Kirk, Chekhov, and Scotty giving the Enterprise B its send-off, sort of. (laughs) What did you think about this whole thing? Did you think, well, you kind of hinted that you didn't think that we needed the original crew, which I agree. Star Trek VI was such a great send-off of that crew as a whole, and I love the idea of them going out together as a team. We did not need this, but they went there. Yeah. Could they have done better? Than what we got. I feel like, yeah, I feel like what we could have done if, like, say Paramount, say that we we write Generations and Paramount comes to us and says, no, you gotta have some original crew. You gotta have a send-off. It's gotta be a Pass the Torch movie. I feel like what would be, like, in Star Trek fashion, I think we as writers could say, okay, we'll do that, but we're gonna do it like we did it in Nemesis. We're gonna do it like we did it in the opener of Voyager or how we did it in the opener of Deep Space Nine. Have it be a cameo, not a co-starring role, not even a special guest. Yeah. It's a cameo. So say you wanted to keep the structure, like I think with Generations, we could completely rewrite it and say like, oh, this is a good opening movie, but then we're just writing an episode. We're writing an episode, like we're writing a movie. This is <laughs> this is re 
writing generation. So I think it'd be best if we try to keep as many of the elements as we can. Do you agree with me on that one? I, yeah, I do. I don't want to change the entire structure yeah. of the movie. I want to improve where I think they just didn't quite reach the best potential or maybe it just didn't totally agree with the overall movie. I think I think that's a, I'm glad that we're in agreement on that because what I would do is <laughs> like if Paramount was coming down on us hard, I'd say like, okay, we can't get Leonard Nimoy, we can't get to Force Kelly, but we can get William Shatner because he's always down. So <laughs> let's get William Shatner and let's have let's have them be in space dock. All right, they're not on the Enterprise D or they're about to uh, Enterprise B and they're about to launch Enterprise B. Have Shatner give a speech. Have him give an amazing speech about passing the torch, about how he loves being out there and he wishes he was out there, but he's not. And so it's now your turn. And like say it's like Harriman, yeah. Captain Harriman, it is now your turn to explore strange new worlds and new civilizations and then have him hint saying like even after you are done with your mission, there are going to be captains after you helming the right. name Enterprise. Enterprise is going to live on. Exactly. Long after this. That kind of thing. Don't make it about Shatner. Don't make it about him and being in that chair because we've explored that for six movies. Right. And also I feel like they're almost poking fun at the original crew of, oh, haha, retirement. How you liking it, buddy? Huh? Not so good. Oh. And the reporters, can we chug them because that's dumb? Or can they at least take it down several notches they can be there but just don't make them say anything i didn't yeah i didn't <laughs> mind the uh the reporters as much as everybody else but i think they could definitely be toned down i feel like that's very 90s reporting just the microphones shoved in the face and stuff like that like no i love the idea of a speech that is as much of a send-off as the enterprise b needed and then you know what the next thing i want to improve right off the bat this ship needs to be ready for action yes. everything is installed it's tuesday okay <laughs> So that way, when they go out there and they go to the Nexus, they're equipped and they're ready. And John Harriman does not look like a complete idiot on his very first voyage out. I would love to see the, like, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Like, I would love, to, but I'd still love to see the hesitation in Harriman. I'd love to see the doubt, the, oh man, mm. I can't believe that I'm going through this on my literal first mission. We have, like, we barely left Space Dock and this is happening. I would love to see that translated somehow on screen to how it's just i don't know how, how exactly we do it but like i agree with you i don't want harriman to look like a fool i don't want the enterprise yeah. b to look like a joke yes that is a big problem i had right off the bat with generations is it looks like the successor to the enterprise is just awful it, it feels like they don't have the faith in the crew or the ship like this is the enterprise like you always say this should be the best of the best of the best and Captain Harriman is not really, he does not seem up to the task. So I think if we want to instill maybe a little bit of doubt or has some hesitation from him, I just want him to kind of feel a little overwhelmed for just a moment, realizing this is what it's like to be the captain of the Enterprise. I've got to jump in feet first. Let's go. Well, you know what I would do? I'd frame it so that the first thing you see, like no long credit sequence right away, no just like slow music and champagne bottle. We're in blackness, you see the Paramount logo, and then cut, and you see the back of Shatner, and he's standing in front <laughs> of a huge crowd, and hmm. that's where he's giving his speech, and he's talking about everything that we just talked about, and then all of a sudden he gestures over to see the B, and it's in space dock, and there's a swell of pride, there's a swell, like, like he ends his speech amazingly, everybody's clapping their hands, 
and we we close up on Harriman, and then that's where we see the credits start to roll by in the Enterprise B launch. We have a dissolve, and it's no longer the first mission. Okay. And the only reason why I'm doing that is because I think that would help move away from the, oh, this is my first mission. I can't believe this is happening. Or like Tuesday stuff or reporters or anything like that. It's just we see the launch of the B in order to get that Shatner cameo. But then after the credit sequence, which was already long to begin with, we're now with the B. We don't know how much time went by. They're just going through business as usual and they're in the Nexus or in the deal with the Nexus situation. Do you think that's any better than doing what we previously just said, where it is the first mission, or should we just stick with it being its first mission? To be honest, I mean, I think you can maybe imply that it is the first mission even without saying it, because if Kirk is there giving the send-off, it implies that the Enterprise B is brand new. So we don't necessarily need to say that without saying it, because it is. Well, that's not so much my issue. Like, the only the only reason why I tried to move away, like, where I tried to add some ambiguous time frame between the speech and the credits and the Nexus is just so we don't feel like it is their first mission. But if you want it to be their first mission, I'm fine with erasing everything I just said. <laughs> okay, I mean, ultimately, to keep things moving along with the movie, I don't know if it matters at all. Okay, all right. So, I mean, I don't even want to know if I want to get hung up on that detail. I think you, I think the audience is going to register that it's the first mission. Okay, we'll just stick with that then. We'll stick with it that it's the first mission, but we, we move along. Sh- Shatner is only there for the speech. And then, yeah, we moved along from there. And that's great. And I think cinematically, as much as I do love the champagne bottle floating through space and then hitting the bee, this moves things along a little more. And it's interesting. And hooray, Captain Kirk, rah, rah, rah. We get that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's good. It serves a very important purpose. But then we move on. And we never see Shatner again. Like in that movie. We don't have to. And then that way that eliminates another big problem is we don't have to kill Kirk. Right. Right. Because that, no matter how you do that, is a bad idea. And people are going to be disappointed no matter how, how you do it. Whether he was in a blaze of Absolutely. glory, whether he, you know, like was on the Enterprise and it exploded or he saved millions. Like, even if you did it like in Star Trek 09, you know, people would be disappointed. Absolutely. So then that changes one big thing, of course, is then Kirk and Picard are not going to meet. Right. And they're not going to be coming back from the Nexus. Not together, right. Now. Okay, so let's go ahead and move forward. So does everything proceed the way that it normally does? Where what we need then is a framing device. So is Guinan our framing device? Because Yes. Yes, she is. She's our connector. Yeah, we need an ender to the scene. And the ender was Kirk's death, or like presumed death. And, yes. and Scotty going, I and then we zoom out. So with that, like if Guinan is our maybe like Harriman is the one that we're following. And mm-hmm. and then like he saves the day. Ah, see that doesn't that doesn't make any sense now. Like we we've got to figure out something. The rescue mission of the Nexus is very different without Kurt yeah. and has presumed death. So yeah, who and what can we rearrange here to make that to keep that amped up? Shatner was our emotional investment. Uh huh. And that's why we cared about this. So are we missing something here? Are we removing the audience caring about the bee or is Shatner talking about the bee enough for us to care about it? That's a good question. In terms of the nexus... What if, okay, what if Shatner was the main cameo, but yet there was someone who was on the bee that we've seen before who we have an emotional connection to? Well, the first person who came to mind, even though we don't actually know her, is Demora Sulu because mm-hmm. she's a Sulu. 
Would that be enough? I kind of want to go back to Guinan. But but she can't be dead. Yeah, and she can't be on the bee. Like, she has to be on the Lakul. Right, but she gets rescued and brought aboard the bee. Yes, but the th- I'm talking about, like, but how do we get to the Lakul? Are you saying that we should see something from Guinan's perspective? We should be on the Lakul? Maybe. Do we see her get ripped from the Nexus? I don't know. This is a tough part here. This is re- I like I did not foresee this coming, but this is this is Me a neither. tough part. So I can't believe we're not even past the first scene. <laughs> this is a lot harder than it looks, guys. So okay, so like if Guinan is, I think Guinan. I don't think we see Guinan until the end, and that's our way to move on to the Enterprise D. But we need an emotional investment. We need someone we know to save the day, and yeah. I don't think it can be Harriman. I think someone needs to be on the bridge. I think I, you know what? I got to give credit where credit is due. Because by keeping the structure, the writers were correct in thinking that we needed a vehicle to move us forward. But yeah. but we do not need somebody to move past the Enterprise B incident besides Guinan. We do not need an original uh-huh. series character to do that. But is it okay to have an original series character on the bridge and help save the day? Who would that be, do you think? Well, I don't want it to be Shatner because I think he needs to stay behind. Yeah, I agree. So would could it be Scotty who is maybe he helped design the bee and he's he wants to <laughs> which would be hilarious since he initially was not so keen on the Excelsior class right like he's the one who did like the Excelsior refit or something maybe yeah he had a, he had his criticisms at first maybe he has helped it along a little bit and really gotten that class of starship solid mm-hmm. or solidified to his liking and. Unfortunately, maybe so much so with the Enterprise that only he can fix something or he knows the ship so well that he has to volunteer and be the one to yeah. do whatever. I still don't know if that's enough. It feels weird. I, yeah. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of maybe Scotty being there on to, to send it off, you know, just to be there for some initial cruise like it's planned on the actual movie. And then he's not really there to do anything, though. He's just there to hang out and enjoy it. But then, I don't know. Ah, this is tough. This is tough. I feel like I kind of want to move away from that. I want to go back on what I said because it feels like just having Scotty and not Shatner and not anybody else feels like... Yeah, why wouldn't you have them along for the ride? Yeah, it just feels like a last-ditch effort. So I feel like we need to go all in with Harriman and crew, maybe keep the Dumaro Sulu thing, and... Maybe follow the two of them. Maybe that is enough. Like, follow Harriman, follow Sulu, and they're the ones that help save the day. But how do we get Guinan into it? How do we get that discovery of Guinan be the anchor of the scene and how we move on? Like, where's the drama in that? Because it can't just be, oh, we saved the day. Oh, and here's Guinan. Because how it was in the right. original movie was, here's Guinan, beat, 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 now the day is saved. Is she potentially doing something with Soren? Like, is she trying to maybe calm him down? Is she trying to beat him up and sedate him because he's being such a maniac after being torn from the Nexus? I don't know. Any possibilities there? May- okay, may- yeah, maybe she's the one who subdues him. Maybe instead... Because we're not going to have Chekhov. Because we're not going to have Chekhov. So, like, maybe, like, the day is saved, and then we go back to, like, okay, so the day is saved, but then they go back and say, like, okay, we have all these refugees, what do we do? And just stuff is going crazy the crap has hit the fan people are rioting people are going insane and what if soren tries to hurt sulu or hurt herman like maybe they go and see the the refugee situation 
And ooh, I like that. And then, like maybe he's gonna try and hijack the ship or something. Like, he, like he's just in berserker mode. He's not even thinking straight. He's just like, I gotta get back. He's tearing people down. Right. And then at the last moment, we see that he gets hit over the head. We don't see who hit him over the head. He drops down, and the camera reveals that it's Guinan. I like that, and I love the idea of. After she does that, once that's over, she takes that breath and we see her kind of reeling from being pulled from the Nexus because that's one of my favorite things is when we see Guinan, mm-hmm. she's in such a state of, I think, despair. Yeah. I think we still need to see that. So then when she calms down a little bit, that sinks in and just, whoa. And that would actually help a personal connection even more so between Guinan and Soren in the movie where Soren could directly blame Guinan for why he's not in the Nexus cuz maybe he would think maybe he thinks subconsciously or even irrationally that if it wasn't for her he would have been able to get a shuttle or steal the bee or do something convince somebody to go back oh, to the Nexus Oh I like it cuz he'll come back when he's on the D at some point with a lot of resentment why did you do that Yeah yeah we like we can have an even awkward moment between the two of them because Really, all that happened, which was a nice touch in the movie, was Guinan became aware of his presence. And uh-huh. we could take that even further later on. Right. Yeah, we ought to have a little more of a face-to-face confrontation. Once she realizes that he's there, they lock eyes. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's going to go down. Once she hits him over the head, once she realizes where she is, and she, we see the, the depression in her face, then we go, boom, 75 years later. Yep. Cut to the Enterprise. I really like the ship, the classic ship, the promotion. It's cute. No, oh, come no, on. No, I like it too. I like it too. Oh, okay. You were giving me a look of... It's true. Like, no. I, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I was wrinkling my nose at you. I like it too. I think it's cute. I think it's fun. But I always had this in my mind that whenever we went back to the D, we'd go back to the poker table. But is that a good scenario for giving Worf a promotion? I don't think we necessarily need to give Worf a promotion. I think he has it. I'd say make him a lieutenant commander. Okay, but cinematically, the poker table, not nearly as exciting as a ship. You're right. And costumes. You're right. Sorry. Also, we have that whole bit of Data throwing Crusher into the water, which leads to the subplot of him in the emotion ship. Do we want to keep that? I think we can definitely keep the emotions. I think that needs to happen uh, in order to move the story along and also so we can advance data. Yeah, I think we have to. I don't want it to be that big of a plot in Generations, though. I feel like, and this is kind of a hindsight is 2020 thing, I think way too much time was spent on data in the TNG movies. Way too much time. He got a lot of screen time. He really did. I like the idea of data, now that he has committed to using the emotion ship, having to adjust to that and you kind of get your wish data you want emotions this is one step closer to being human well managing your emotions is a big step toward that exploring that was okay but maybe we could tone it down just a little bit absolutely yes let's tone it down because i i hated the scene where he kept cracking jokes and he was just very annoying yeah can we not and so the anxiety though i love the idea that he has a sense of guilt about not being able to save Jordy and stuff like that. I think that sort of thing is absolutely necessary. Yes. And then we have to have Picard say, look, Data, this is tough. I get it, but I need you. And I would love for that moment where Jordy gets taken and Data loses it where he gets scared and he can't proceed. That would be a crazy enough situation that would overload his neural net. Let's not just have it. Yeah. Let's not have it happen randomly because he's like starts laughing and joking and 
and laughing and everything like that. Like, let's have it be a traumatic situation that overloads this neural net. I love it. That makes so much more sense. And then we can avoid a lot of those corny jokes because really the humor is there when he goes into 10 forward yeah. and he has the, I hate this scene. That's great. Let's keep that. But we don't have to keep going with the stupid stuff. Yeah, we get plenty of jokes. We don't need it in that scene where Jordy gets taken. So let's like, let's tone that down, keep the emotion ship. So you want to keep the HMS Enterprise. Yeah, I do. I think it's a nice introduction and it looks pretty on screen. And I don't know, it just, it does help set the stage for everything that comes after. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. I, I, I like, I don't dislike it so much that I need to argue it. So I'm fine with that. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So now we're, we're kind of running out of time here. We are. Oh my God. This, dare I say, we have to do a two-parter, but at the rate we're going, this could be three. I think I think we can keep it down to two because we got the introductions down. We got the opening scene down. This isn't going to be a pass the torch film. We got that done at the beginning. We're going to focus a little bit more on Guinan. We toned down data. So I think we accomplished a lot for setting the stage. But I feel like we, yes. if we're going to go scene by scene instead of just doing broad strokes, I think we do need to do a part two because oh, absolutely. we could do this in 10 minutes right now. Like we could do the rest of the movie in 10 minutes, but I think you guys deserve a better rewrite. Sort of like Discovery. We wouldn't flesh it out as much as it deserves. Plus next week we won't have Discovery conversation. Sniff. <laughs> so maybe we can get it done in two. But for now, we're at a good stopping point. Let's wrap this up. Let's do it. Okay, so everybody, thank you so much for listening. Please go to the nerdparty.com for everything that you could possibly need. You can find our social on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's all there. You can find all of our back episodes from all of our other shows as well as Punch It. And also, if you want to contact us and tell us if there's any specific thing you want us to rewrite or talk about, whether it's Star Trek related or not, go to the nerdparty.com slash contact. Select Punch It from the drop-down menu and uh, fill out the form. It'll send us an email. And um, as always... If you like what we're doing, please go to iTunes and give us a review. If you give us a five-star review, we'll mention you on the show. So next week, you know what we're doing, guys. We're going to keep right along with this. And you know that Generations is going to get punched. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.